day 131. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so we're in the thick of the book of Psalms, um, and we're at Psalm 33. So Psalm 33 is a hymn of praise to God, and um, the only God we know is our Redeemer, not just as our Redeemer, but as our creator, right? So it starts off with a call to praise. And it says, yo, rejoice in the Lord, you righteous ones. Praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the lyre. Make music to him with the ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song to him. Play skillfully on the strings with a joyful shout. This singing of the new song to the Lord does not mean that we all need to abandon our vocations and jobs and become artists. But it does mean that the psalmist is inviting us to have a fresh experience of God's grace, right? And from there it goes on to why we should praise him. Not just that we should praise him, but why we should praise him, right? So, um, you know, these reasons start off talking about the word of the Lord, right? And what lies in Genesis 1 and 2 is echoed here all throughout, right? And so, um, you know, it talks about the heavens and the stars, right? It were created, right? All by the breath of his mouth. Now, a really cool thing here uh, in this text that talks about, you know, um, just the creation. And you just see that that the triune God, right? The Trinity is present, right, in this text. So verse six says, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word here for word is logos, right? It's logos. And all the stars by the breath of his mouth is ruach, right? The Hebrew word ruach. And that's the word for the spirit. So we have Logos, which is the word for Jesus. We'll know in John 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Um, But also the Ruach, the spirit. So you have the Father, Son, and the spirit all working together to bring forth the earth, right? That's a little nerdy point just for my nerds out there. But so God speaks the word into existence, and the operative agent, again, is the entire Godhead, right? And this is important because um, there's this concept of creation being from ex nihilo, meaning it was out of nothing, right? God didn't uh, combine and tag team with anybody. He didn't, you know, have a combustion of a bunch of raw materials put together. No, 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 no. Out of nothing. No other God in the ancient world had claimed, this was not, this was not claimed in any other religion of the ancient world. And still to this day, no religion says this, right? And so for us as Christians and for them then, right, there was this uh, uniqueness to the God of the Bible, and this is why he deserved their praise and our praise now. And because this psalm calls uh, shows that God created the whole earth, he is calling the whole earth, right, to praise God, not just Israelites, right? The entire earth owes the praise to God because he has made all things, right? And that's the message we proclaim even to this day. So Psalm 34 comes, and we're told of this historical situation in the life of King David. And um, it is basically this uh, part where he's not just fleeing Saul right now, but he is in the presence of King Achish, right, of Gath. Um, and this is uh, Philistine territory. So remember him and the Philistines, uh, Israel and the Philistines had this longstanding history uh, of yeah violence against one another. And what David does, he acts crazily. So if you remember, this is 1 Samuel 21. David acts crazily in the presence, right? And he is able to flee him. And what I love about this song 
is that even though on the surface of the story, it seems as if David has, yeah, a ton of ingenuity and creativity to get out of a destructive situation, he gives all his thanks to the Lord, right? In this Psalm, it says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. and He rescued me from all my fears. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his trouble. Got troubles. Guys, regardless of our hand in our triumphs, in life, the glory must always go to God, right? Over and over again, David speaks similarly, right? The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help, right? Um, but I lo- what I love about this psalm, though, is um, many have called uh, 11 verses 11 through 14 a wisdom section. So we see that David encourages us with these truths about God, but he also exhorts us as well. So he says, um, you know, who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. Knowing we are in the care and protection of God is no excuse to live recklessly, right? But all the more the impetus to live wisely, right? Wisdom, still should be true of the people of God, even though they are in the presence and the care of an all wise God, right? And so 35 comes, and here we have this lament psalm in which we have David once again asking God to fight for him, right? So this psalm, uh, this kind of psalm comes up a lot, and he's asking God to defend him. And we know that one of the images given throughout Yahweh in the Old Testament is that God is this divine warrior, right? So he fights for his people. So verse three talks about, you know, draw the spear and javelin against my pursuers and assure me I am your deliverance or salvation. But we see God here not just defending his people, but his people are defenseless, right? And God fights for those who are his, but he also fights for those who can't fight for themselves. And that should be true of us. I think I've said that before. Um, But we see here, though, that the enemies of God are not just fighting with their hands. They're fighting with their words. Right. And so one of the very practical ways people uh, go against God's people is that they persecute them by mocking them. Right. And so David gets at this here in this psalm. He says, yo, for they do not speak in friendly ways, but contrive fraudulent schemes against those who live peacefully in the land. They open their mouths wide against me and say, aha, aha. We saw it. (laughs) You saw it. And he's like, yo, you saw it, Lord. Don't be silent. Lord, do not be far from me. So uh, actually here, there's a play on words. So when he says, you know, for they do not speak in friendly ways, he really means it's the Hebrew word shalom, which is peace. And then he says, you know, they speak against those who live peacefully. Right. So um, kind of play on words here. But what he's getting at is this. You know, it's ironic that um, those don't uh, they don't speak peacefully about those who are at peace. But what he's saying is it's ironic that sometimes because you are who you are and you are at peace with God, you are persecuted. In other words, sometimes we will be persecuted just because we are Christians and for no other reason. Right. And this phrase, why do I say that? This phrase peacefully in the land was used in the Torah as a promise for God's covenantal people when they obeyed him. Leviticus 26, 26, uh, Leviticus 26, 6, for those who want the receipt, uh, speaks of this being true when they obeyed him. So in other words, our obedience to God can bring about the reproach of men, right? 
We see this all the time, right? Standing on the right side of issues in our society brings the reproach of men. However, God won't be mocked. And he is one who promises to judge. This is our comfort. He is one who promises to judge every single word that a person speaks. And God is one who is zealous for his name, for his reputation, and for his glory. And so this because God is zealous for his reputation, that keeps us from retaliating. You feel what I'm saying, right? Because we have this confidence in the ultimate sense that, yo, God is going to make things right. Vengeance belongs to him. I only ain't got to do you in, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? God is going to judge. He's righteous. He's just. He's our king. That's what he does, right? And so that's our confidence. So 36 comes. And piggybacking off of 35, uh, chapter 36 and the Psalms comes through with a thorough definition of who the wicked actually are. So it says this, for with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. The words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. Even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that is not good and he does not reject evil. So verse one, oh, first and foremost, uh, verse one, I didn't read verse one. Uh, they don't fear God, right? These people don't fear God. Then secondly, uh, they have an over-inflated view of themselves. Then after that, they do not hate sin and transgressions, those things that God hates. And then after that, they deceive They deceive with their speech. We talked about this one before. And then also, they have these evil plans that aren't just honest, honest mistakes or mess-ups, right? They plot and plan out their sinful deeds as they lay on their beds at night. But in verse 5, he switches, right? The psalm makes this radical like shift right and i love it because it's just yeah kind of unexpected so he says look lord your faithful love reaches to heaven your faithfulness to the clouds why would he say that so good if you go read romans chapter three paul will quote the back half of the first uh verse of this chapter right and his point is, in his argument in Romans, is to point out that all people, Jews and Gentiles alike, are under sin, right? In other words, folks like this that you're reading about in this psalm could possibly be in the covenant community. Or in other words, they could possibly be up in your church. Now, he shifts to the faithful love in verse 5 after talking about the depth of wickedness in, the hum in humanity. Because he's saying even this amount of deep sinfulness, listen, is no match. Does not stand a chance against the faithful covenantal relational love of God's, of God. In other words, nobody is so far gone. Nobody is too far gone, right? I don't care what you've done. I don't care uh, how you've once thought. Nobody is too far, too far gone from the love of God. And nonetheless, you know, David goes on. And he just gives the benefits of being with Yahweh. Righteousness, justice. He's faithful. He preserves. He satisfies, right? And David is just trying to tell us there's no need to flirt or court sin you can be united in covenant with the bridegroom let me pray father we thank you that um nobody is too far gone from your love i pray that um today this truth will rock us god and that we would 
tell people about the faithful love you've extended to us in Christ Jesus alone. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.